This summer, we are traveling together the journey, looking at what it means to live as a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. And we're continuing in Matthew's gospel. We've, uh, we concluded Matthew 10, and we're catching up in the middle of, of the chapter 11 as we begin at verse 16. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like the children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And then continuing on to verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I learned early in ministry that it's sometimes very important to make clear what we're talking about when we use words in church. Sometimes there's the same word or, or a homonym, it sounds the same, that has a very different meaning like soul or soul, different words. Mark put these together for me, I love it, uh, beforehand. Canon, the Bible is canon, and we talk about the books collected together or the other word, it's a different thing, very, very different canon. Or Holy versus the jeans that my girls wear sometimes, which are quite holy. We pay for those holes. Thank you very much. So today I thought I'd make sure we have the same working definition of yoke. First, it's yoke and not yoke, which I don't ever say it like that. And that's not what Jesus meant when he said his yoke is easy. Over easy eggs. Over e yeah, that's a, yeah, I got, I knew, it, I knew you'd get there. I trusted y'all to get there. <clears throat> Others of you have a different understanding of yoke. We spell it the same way, but it looks a little bit different. It looks more, sometimes we think of this one out of a F-15 eagle. Jesus isn't making a reference to Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary. Although, they're getting kind of close. We're closing in on what Jesus is talking about. In reality, Jesus was talking about something similar to this. Or possibly something like this. <clears throat> the yoke that Jesus was referring to was a tool. A tool used to distribute the weight of a load evenly. 
whether you're carrying two buckets or it's a team of two oxen or more gathered together to pull something, it is meant to share the load, spread the weight, and balance this out. Jesus wants to join us in the burdens of ministry and the burdens of life, and better yet, actually, he is calling us to join him. Not him join us, but us join him. A lot of times in life, we make our plans, we've made our decisions, and we ask God to bless them after the fact. But the other way around is how it should be. Jesus asks us to join him in what he's already doing. Or ask him to guide us in our work and to bless the decision before we even make it. In today's text, there are seemingly two very different stories. We start with this, these crowds uh, about John and John the baptizer and Jesus at the gate and, and the people of that time understanding what's going on and who they are and really not finding any reason to dispute their claims. <clears throat> We've got John, a, a social misfit. He, he's, he's fasting all the time. If you read more of his story, he eats. Who remembers what he eats? Locusts and honey. I should have saved the locust part for you all to say because that feels grosser. Honey, wild honey and... So there you go. And he wore camel... A cloak of camel, from not camel hair, jacket, which looks nice in the wintertime, but just camel hair. Got it. Thank you, Ross, for confirmation. And he said some pretty wild stuff. So they dismissed him because he was too stringent. He was too challenging. His life was too weird. The voice of the crowd saying, we, 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 uh, you didn't mourn when we, we played the mournful song, when we wailed. And then they look at Jesus who's doing maybe not exactly the opposite. He's saying challenging things, but he's eating and he's drinking and he's gathering with people. He's not out in the wilderness separated from everybody and everything else that's going on to deliver his message. Instead, he's in the midst of everything, and yet they have similar aversion to whatever it is that he has to teach them. They're looking for whatever excuses, it sounds like, to avoid accepting a message from God. And Jesus is kind of calling him out here. It's almost one of those, we can't win for losing kind of scenarios. He even asked the question earlier in the chapter when they were uh, talking about going out to see John. Would you come into the wilderness to look at? It was almost as if they were looking at it for entertainment purposes. And possibly they were. Because I imagine he was a sight to see and as long as you stayed 50 yards away, you wouldn't smell him. But they also went out because they were compelled to hear his message. Just like in last week's text, Jesus is continuing to help us to open our hearts and our minds to God's message regardless of what the package it is wrapped up in. Whether it's camel hair, not eating, 
or camel hair and fasting or Jesus in his robes. We don't know what he wore, but not fasting, but celebrating life. And then we move to the second section. The middle section is about what happens to, people, to the towns that don't listen. That's another story. Um, we skip that part to come to this part, to beginning at verse 25. He was connecting the people's expectations of a messenger of God to now expectations of what it means to follow God through Jesus' teachings. There's a shift in his voice. In verse 25, it even sounds like Jesus is lifting a prayer. I thank you, Father. He is. It doesn't sound like he is. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He shifted tone. He's, he's not so much as negating what the crowds are missing, but he's shifting to those who are indeed open and receptive to God's message, to the good news, to Jesus himself. And then he says, claims the authority for his message. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. In Hebrew culture particularly, but we all like to have our resources, right? Our references, check their references. In Hebrew um, teaching, a rabbi would always reference his authority, which came from the rabbi before him, which came from the rabbi that taught him, and on back as far as they would go. And Jesus is claiming authority not from himself and not from a rabbi, but through the Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And then it feels as if Jesus shifts his tone again. Not just to those disciples, but to all of us. It's almost like he's breaking that so-called fourth wall. If you ever watch a show and the person looks at the camera when they're not supposed to be, you know, normally they're not looking, and they look at the camera and they talk to the crowd, talk to you as you're watching. And he says this to every generation, come to me. All of these words are for every generation, but he's speaking directly to us here. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In the previous chapter, Jesus was giving his disciples these expectations of what it means to be sent out. Be ready for the bad stuff, guys. It's going to be bad out there. Let me give you some worst case scenarios. And then he comes back around here. And this is not just, this isn't specifically those directions. That time has already come and gone where he has sent them out. This is time, this is a few weeks later. She's not speaking just to the 12. But he's saying, when you work with me, it changes things. When you join me in my labor, rather than do the labor on your own, it's different. They lived in an agrarian society. They knew what it meant for somebody either to carry water on one of those one-person yokes 
or a team of animals pulling a heavy load with two together. They knew what that looked like. They possibly have even been a part of that, hitching up an uh, probably not an ox, but hitching up something to a yoke, if not carrying water when they were younger. They knew the weights of that. But in addition to the actual yoke, those folks growing up then were, were claimed that they were under the yoke of the Torah, under the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. That was their yoke, that they carried the weight of that covenant was a burden. And of the 600 and some little laws that they had to follow to be observant and right with God, that was a heavy burden that no one felt like they could lift on their own. That no one felt like they could do properly and entirely and correctly. And Jesus is saying, rather than those 600 and some odd things, let me give you two. And he does this later, it's not here, but he's going to give them two commandments. To love God faithfully. To love others sacrificially. I added the the adverbs to the both of those. To love God and to love others. To love God with every aspect of our being, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's two. It covers all 600 and some laws on, in some way, shape, or form. But let's just narrow it down to two categories. And Jesus says, in, in bonus, you don't have to do it on your own. You're doing that with me. Join me in doing so. The invitation to to discipleship that Jesus is giving here is not just about learning. It's not just about getting the words down and taking good notes like we do in school or did in school. It's about adopting a lifestyle. That's what the disciple was. It was a follower. The The philosophers of Greece, they would have their schools, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, all of them. They had their school, and as the students would learn from them, they didn't just sit in a classroom and then go home and study their notes and then take a test the next day. They adopted every aspect of that person's way of life. They ate the same types of food that they ate. They would sit, you know, some people cross and then other cross and then they're you know whatever they would sit they would they would mimic every aspect of that person's way of life not out of mimicry or mocking or even imitating uh, those aspects but because they didn't want to miss a thing about what made them who they are that's the same level of following that Jesus is inviting us to now all, all those minor things, those aren't things we even know, much less could follow. However, it's a way of, it's a life, it's an invitation to an imita- uh, invitation to the imitation of the life of Christ. In terms of his compassion, in terms of his conviction, in terms of his closeness with God and closeness with those around him. And the work sounds hard but Jesus is helping us to know that we don't have to do it on our own especially 
when we are doing it alongside him, joining our yoke to his. There are a lot of things that will draw us, that will motivate us in our work. That's part of what's happening here. Jesus says, find your motivation not in other things. Find your motivation in me. At the same time, not just your motivation, but your partnership. We're partnering with Jesus in life. He's talking particularly about uh, ministry, but he's also talking about life together. It's not about, you know, I, I bring Jesus with me. Jesus brings us with him. And we go through life together. But we'll find other motivations. We'll find other things that drive us to do the things that we do in life if we don't find it in Jesus. Just like if we, if we don't worship God, we'll find something or somebody else to worship. You've probably heard that before. It's the same way with what we do in life, what, what drives us in life. We'll find something to connect, to hitch our carts to, 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 to yoke ourselves to. Sometimes it's out of uh, a yoke of, of proving ourselves, a yoke of proving ourselves. Working to prove our own worth. Convinced that we're only worthy if we do enough or do well enough. It's almost the perfectionist type. But not necessarily always just focusing on perfection. It's just I've got to do it. It's almost like trying to earn your own salvation. If I do it enough, I'll be good enough and God will love me finally. The problem with that is we can never do enough. There is never enough done done well enough, completely enough. And that's, and that's what Jesus, part of what Jesus came to save us from. Because religion, which is do these things in order to be connected to God, was what Jesus was saying. It's not about the religion, it's about the faith. It's not about doing enough, doing the right things at the right time in the right manner in order to be connected to God. It's about faith in me, believing in me, imitating my life, following me. That's what connects us to God and then drives us to do certain things. To live a certain way. It's on the back side of it. But rather, the prover, the yoke of, of the prover is somebody who's trying to earn their way, earn their, keep, earn their keep, so to speak. But there's always more to prove. Sometimes it's the yoke of being a pleaser. If I just do enough for others, and if they're happy, I'm happy when they're happy. I'm happy when other people are happy. So I just got to run myself ragged, doing what others want me to do or expect me to do, or maybe even I compel myself to do it, but it's not for me, it's for them. Jumping through endless hoops. If I do so, people love me, and God will love me because I've helped his people be happy. Sometimes it's the yoke of the rescuer. Sometimes folks have this need to be needed. It feels good when somebody says, we can't do whatever it is. We can't do it without you. Wow. It does feel good. There's no lie in that. It feels good. But if that's our ongoing motivation, we ultimately will hear a negative comment or, or disappointment or correction, and then we're no longer the one who is rescuing, but the one who needs to be rescued, and we don't know what to do with that. If that is our motivation our yoke sometimes it's about the yoke of self living for me for my comfort for my plans for myself 
That's the loneliest yoke of all. It's that one man holding two buckets by himself and working hard doing it. And there are other things. There are other things that motivate us. Sometimes it's an agenda that motivates us to do things, to say things, to talk to others about. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a sense of guilt and shame. So if I, if I do certain things or do enough things, then, then God will, will forgive me. That's not how our faith it works either. There are other yokes. But, but the only yoke that doesn't add to our life's burdens is Jesus. And his is a yoke of love. It's those two commandments. Those, that covenant of love. Not those 600 and some odd lists of things that the Pharisees were trying to keep and encourage others to keep as well. Love God. Love others. Love God faithfully. Love others sacrificially. It's a yoke made of love. And the, only, and the only commitment we have is out of our love for God and our love for others. And when we live in that place, when we live in that place where we've given ourselves over to Jesus to the point where we are guided by his desires, by his needs, by his call upon our lives, when we're so much more concerned about what Jesus is doing than what we need to be doing or what we feel like we need to be doing, Jesus' statement is true. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This doesn't mean that all of life is easy. (laughs) There's no way that that means that. There's no way, shape, or form that Jesus would mean that, because it's not so. That would mean that we would have no more cares in the world, but that's not what Jesus ever says. However, to know that the burdens of life, particularly the life of those following him, the life of the relationship with God, when we follow Jesus, can be. It can be made all the lighter as we walk with him, as we allow his love to transform us from the inside out, not just us changing our own behaviors and habits, changing our minds. We would try to change our stuff, and it always reverts back. Maybe not always, but often it does. But when we allow Jesus to do that work within us, when we partner with Jesus to do that work, it changes our view on things around us. And it becomes less about the work itself. It's not the work that becomes easier. It's our desire to do it. It's our desire to live that way. We're not struggling against ourselves anymore. To do what God is calling us to do. To live how God is calling us to live. To be who God is calling us to be. When we're struggling with ourselves, it makes it all the harder. All the harder. But when we're doing it for Jesus, with Jesus, living for him becomes our desire. Becomes our need. And becomes that which drives our lives. And that, and all that going on, life is transformed from a burden to bear, boxes to check, 
into an adventure of opening our hearts to God and what God is doing and to others and to their need. May we yoke our lives to Jesus and may we walk with him faithfully all of our days. Amen. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for never leaving us on our own and never leaving us alone. You pursue us our whole lives long. The story, the arc of the story of Scripture, your pursuit of us, all of us and each of us. And in that pursuit, you mean to redeem us, not redeem us by burden, but by deeming us by grace that frees us from bondage of, to sin and to death, that frees us for your kingdom good, that frees us to be fully whom you have called and created us to be. Help us to take on that yoke and walk with Jesus. Amen.